Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. You stick around as long as I have. you got connections everywhere. <laughs> so I know a lot of players there, a couple of players there that have been part of my career and some coaches that I've coached with. So you know, I think that's the first thing you do is you check on everybody, how you guys doing, and, and uh, you know, concern for your buddies and, you uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully everything's okay and we, we uh, can have a great game this weekend. The Vikings offensive corner Gary Kubiak talking about his connections with the Falcons and just uh, seeing how those guys are doing over there. It sounds like the Falcons have opened up their practice facility, so the game should be on on Sunday. We'll do a deep dive into everything you need to know and also a state of the offensive line. But Declan, every weekend... Is a Corona Hard Seltzer it weekend. Is. I can tell you everything you need to know about all the Corona Hard Seltzers. I can go in depth. I, you I can, can do scouting reports on yeah, them? I, I really could. Which could one do. runs the fastest 40? Blackberry Line. Okay. Blackberry Line runs the fastest 40. Um, the quickest feet are probably the Mango. The the shuffle. Who, who wins the three? Is it the three cone drill? How, yeah, the, how many cones are in the drill? I think, I think, I think Cherry gets the three cone drill. And then the traditional lime has a really good catch radius. He's got big oh, hands. Oh, big hands. You know, the big hands are, are really important the in those big hands situations, man. Huge. Yes, Cheap. exactly yeah. right. Because Corona Hard Seltzer is the only hard seltzer made with Pure Beach vibes with a refreshing splash of fruit flavors such as tropical lime, mango, cherry, and blackberry lime. Corona Hard Seltzer is a tasty spike sparkling water with a splash of natural fruit flavor that allows you to enjoy the moment. In each can, Corona Hard Seltzer has zero carbs, zero sugar, 90 calories, and is gluten-free. Corona Hard Seltzer, relax responsibly. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Football. I think before this thing's said and done, you're going to see him uh, uh, get an opportunity to be a part of, uh, you know, to produce and be a part of our team. So I'm really proud of how far he's come. I just walked off the field. You asked me that question, and he had a really good practice. So, you know, it kind of comes to mind, I guess, so to speak, because I just watched him work. So I'm really pleased with how Rico and Phil are bringing him along. Uh, Gary Kubiak, a little praise there for Ezra Cleveland. Let's also just real quick play the sound by This is on sticking with Drew Samia, who – might not even play on Sunday. We'll get to all that. We've got to uh, continue to grow, Drew, and you know we got to work through some of these, uh, some some of the mistakes and some of those type of things. But we're also hanging on to the positive things that he's doing and understanding that we have a good young player on our hands, and you got to go through some growing pains along the way. So, you know, we believe in our group, and we'll just keep working. And I think as you know, before it's all said and done, I think you're going to probably see us play 
seven or eight deep here along the way. So we'll see how it goes. All right. So we're going to do a state of the offensive line discussion here with our friend Courtney Cronin, ESPN.com, Vikings reporter, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, Declan Goff producing on Purple Daily. And don't forget Vikings Vent Line right after the Vikings-Falcons game is over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash purple daily podcast. Uh, Courtney, let's let's start the episode. You had a colleague and a friend, and it sounds like a lot of people in the NFL universe, from everyone from Brian Urlacher on the player side and uh, national media members, ESPN.com Falcons reporter Vaughn McClure passed away this week at the age of 48 suddenly. I know, and, and we know that you knew him, so the floor is yours, Courtney. Yeah, I mean, it was a total shock, I think, to everybody. We're all still kind of reeling in it. And, you know, we were on a Zoom call the other day. Our entire NFL Nation group meets once a month to kind of go through, you know, the season and everything. It's new this year, and I've actually really appreciated it because it feels like we all kind of can commiserate together about what's working for us, what's not working for us. Um, And it just, you know, we really are a tight-knit family. I mean, there's 32 of us, and there's editors that – you know, have worked with us for years. And it's not just your bosses and, and things like that. Like we are, or your colleagues that you just talk to about work stuff. Like some of my very closest friends um, are people that work in NFL nation. And Vaughn was somebody who, when I met him in 2017, um, Vikings played in Atlanta uh, that week. I think it was like week 11. And, you know, we kind of hit it off right away he's somebody that like, once you were in, you were in, like you never had to worry about like, once you were his friend, like it was established, he would go to the ends of the earth to help you on anything you need. Um, my first combine in February, 2018, I was just trying to learn like the, the lay of the land and, and, you know, find out how this whole thing worked because you're told like, okay, go there and network. And it's like, well, if you haven't like been around coaches and rubbed elbows and, and done stuff like that and stayed out all night, you know, making sources, um, you don't really know how to do it. So like I followed Vaughn's lead that first year and I'm just watching this guy, like he's on the phone, somebody passes by in the hall, like daps him up, like just like seamless stuff. Like he's no. like friends with everybody. I'm like, Vaughn, how do you know all these people? Like you literally know everyone. And, and that's the thing that I just loved about him. Cause it's like, Hey Vaughn, can you help me? Can you help connect me with so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, I got you. No problem. Like it was just like, that's who he was. And he was always willing to go the extra mile for you if you if you needed something and never asked for anything in return. Um, and I know that, like, you know, with, with he and I, I mean, we're, you know, NFC South, NFC North. Like, I never um, – we weren't working, like, continuously together, but, like, we always kind of stayed in touch. And I was going through some of my emails yesterday because that's how Vaughn and I would communicate most regularly. Um, and everything started out with, hey, my friend, um, like, just – just the emails like make my day. And I remember the first, and and we weren't even that close at this point. It was January of 2018. Like I tweeted about this. I woke up in Philly. I took a late flight there for the NFC championship game. Judd, Matthew Collar, and I actually went to Ruby Tuesday for lunch. The, game, the only place we went. That. I would yep. say I'm, I'm, I'm anti Salabar during COVID, but pre COVID highly underrated Salabar. The pudding is the best part of the salad. It bar, really is. It's true. Um, but like, I woke up that morning, just like burned out, exhausted AF, like just, you know, finish line in sight. And I just looked at my phone. I remember like had an email. I was like, Oh, what is what Bonnie emailing me about? And it was just like the nicest email, like not long, but just like, let you know, like 
finish lines in sight. Keep trucking. You're doing an awesome job. I've been keeping up with your work. Like it's just cool. like little gestures like that. Um, that he didn't have to. He didn't have to do that. Like he was just so thinking about everybody else all the time. And that's the thing that's like really struck me the most. Like my colleagues, like Jeff Dickerson, Mike Wells, uh, Rob Domofsky, all of them have kids. Um, in the stories that you're seeing on Twitter right now about uh, Vaughn reaching out, like, you know, spoiling other people's kids like they would be his own. I think that that's the part that kind of guts me when I think about that because the world lost somebody who was just a really good human being who did everything for everybody else. Um, and I mean, he'll be missed. I mean, you can't replace someone of that magnitude. Um, you, you just can't. And I, and I know that the hardest thing for me is like, you know, the thought of, um, you know, his passing and, and, you know, all of that. And it's just like seeing the outpouring of love and support, um, makes me feel like he wasn't alone at those, fi- those final hours, like whatever happened. I mean, like you're seeing people from all ends of you know the nfl world of the journalism world um professional athletes like i hope i hope somebody has something that nice to say about me uh when it's all said and done because reading those stories and just like you know how insurmountable a loss this is um it it the only silver lining of anything is just seeing the the outpouring of love and how much people love this man because he's been through a lot he lost his father earlier this year uh, his mother died when he was covering the Bears, I think, you know, more than about a decade ago, something like that. He lost his brother. He's he's had a lot. He had a lot of, like, hardships. But, you know, if, if you've seen the Instagram post that he was his last one he had on Father's Day and just, like, how much he wanted to live for his family because he'd lost so many family members, like, they all perished at, like, you know, a younger age. He wanted to live for them and kind of carry them vicariously through himself. I think that really hit me hard. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's still, it's still such a shock, but like, I, you know, he was, he was a good one. Like you will never replace somebody like that because he is just such a, he, he was one of one and, um, we're, we're really going to be worse off not having him here. I mean, he was, he was an incredible guy. Yeah. Um, well, that's an awesome tribute, and I, I know Judd, you ran into him in press boxes. It sounds like when yeah, you covered he, the Bears, he was on back the Bears, then yeah, it's yeah. really really sad. And so uh, Von McClure, if you want to read more about him, there's all kinds of tributes. If you literally just Google Von McClure, uh, there's written tributes, and there's there's even other tributes on YouTube. So um, he yeah. passed away at the age of of 48. So um, there's really no like easy transition, but we do want to talk about Vikings and Falcons and. Let's get the let's get the COVID update out of the way just initially here. Tom Pelissero and others reporting that uh, the Falcons facility opened back up today on this Friday as we sit here recording this. So sounds like the game is going to happen unless there's a major COVID setback of some kind, which I'm sure the Vikings are breathing a sigh of relief because when 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 the initial report came out and it was like, oh no, the Vikings were in jeopardy of maybe losing a bye week if they had to yeah. shuffle the schedule. And so now it sounds like they're going to get to play the Falcons and get their bye and then go on and play the Packers. So any other updates on the COVID front, Courtney, before we get to the offensive line discussion? Nothing, nothing too much. I mean, I think the thing that we're seeing within the NFL world right now is teams are assuming there are a lot of false positives that are coming through. So it's kind of like, well, if you're going to leak it to national reporters, why don't you wait to see if they're actually (laughs) false positives first? Because 
like that's just the misinformation and like the the knee-jerk reaction to oh my goodness four cases and then it's like you know it's only one and it's in a assistant assistant coach like not that not that we want anybody to get covid but it's like you know teams are going to shut down their facilities regardless i really truly believe that it's you know, the whole out of abundance of caution thing well out of an abundance of you know let's just not like I think teams are kind of realizing the Tennessee strategy of not having to practice every single day and you can still get as much done and still win and still have a really good team. Yep. Um, I honestly think it's like, okay, just take the path of least resistance. Like, and also think about what the Falcons have been through this week. Like they just fired their coach, general manager, they're Owen five. They have a COVID scare. I wouldn't be rushing back to the facility anytime soon. <laughs> like got Julio Jones probably not playing. Like, I mean, you have all this stuff going on that it's just like, let's just try to like get from point A to point C in like the path of least resistance. And and I think they did the smart thing with it, but obviously even the Colts today had a COVID scare. Like every team is going to have this at some point. Nobody's immune. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy at least as of now, the game is still scheduled. Like I think everybody needs this bye week so badly. And it's just like, I think it would almost kind of be like a rug out from under you if it's like Sunday. Okay, game's canceled. Like, here's your bye. <laughs> two two things off this that I, I think one is immediate and, and we have to uh, consider right now, Courtney, which is this one. I think the league should say it's mandatory that we want each team to play 14 games. But if you don't get to 16, that's just fine. The second, yeah. the second thing, percentage. exactly. The second thing, and coaches are going to hate it. So I absolutely love it. We are now we are seeing in action how little football um, activities can take place yeah. to see. But here's what I didn't expect, and it's what I love. Do you know who suffers? The defenses. Yeah. And do you know who doesn't care about that? Me and the league. So like, mm-hmm. if your defense stinks, I don't care. Offenses are actually pretty good or really good. So long-term, I think we are getting a tutorial in the fact that all of these training camps and practices, right? We got to practice. We got to go hard on Wednesday. Actually, you don't. Just Zoom. Like the Titans. The Titans, I thought, on Tuesday played a thoroughly entertaining game, and they hadn't practiced in, I believe, 14 days. You're right, and I think that good teams can do that. Bad teams need instruction. Like – you know, the Falcons were working on their hands team after week one. I don't think that they needed. <laughs> they didn't know to pick up the ball. The Dallas game is the greatest game of all yeah, time. And I got news. The and hands then, weren't the problem on that play, Falcons. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the brain, brain the brains the brain were yeah. the brain team. Um, but it's like, I think, honestly, like bad teams, rebuilding teams, young teams, they honestly need practice. Um, the Titans are a 4-0 team. Yeah. Like, they're a really good team. They are a playoff team. Like, they didn't lose much from last year. They added Jadavian Clowney. They only <laughs> added – they lost Logan Ryan, and they only added from there. So, I mean, they're in just a fine place right now. And I think that teams like that that have gelled, that have been together for a while, don't necessarily need the, you know, the grind on the field. I think that if you are in that position, you're probably – have a stronger mental aptitude as a team because everybody's thinking on the same page, right? So then, like, you should be able to do these virtual walkthroughs and know, okay, all right, Wednesday install. This is what the other team looks like. This is where you need to be. This is what we'll do in these situations. X, Y, Z, everybody got me. Like, okay. Like, that's 
that's good if you're a good team. Like that's that's doable. But I honestly think for like teams that are struggling, like even with the Vikings defense, like they need instruction. They need to be together. Um, when you're starting a new group of corners every single week and you're asking Jeff Gladney to play the nickel and, and play outside and just like all these, you know, tough things. I think that like, you know, they need to be together. Like it'd be, it'd be, it'd be cool if you could just do like, all right, offensive line, you're practicing today, Kirk, Cook, the rest of y'all go home. Like it's, it's, it sucks. It's a team game that you have to have everybody out there to feel the team. But I really do think that some, it would just be better sometimes if like certain units could practice and not have the whole team have to go through it because you're right. Like, Teams seem, I mean, the Titans seemed fresh, and yes, they had like two weeks off, but there wasn't any mental lapse, which I think was the strong part of it. Yeah. Well, let's let's could also be from their like illegal workouts too. <laughs> it's pro- it's probably somewhat to do with that. Football. Sure. So, all right, let's let's get into our state of the offensive line discussion here because. Yeah. There's it, it looks like if we're reading between the lines, here, I'm just I'm just going to go through the injury report here because it looks like we're lining up for a major shift here uh, and maybe even a permanent shift along the offensive line. Say. So we've got uh, there's, you know, Dalvin Cook's going to be out and KJ Osborne hasn't practiced with a hamstring and Holton Hill hasn't practiced with a foot. And so uh, and, and Chris Boyd also with a hamstring. That's the defensive side. Jalil Johnson uh, was limited. The offensive side is the most interesting. Uh, Garrett Bradbury is on the injury report with a finger and a knee, but he was back to full practice yesterday. Drew Samia showed up on the practice on the injury report with a wrist after Wednesday's practice and did not practice at all yesterday on Thursday. So yeah. my conspiracy theory is that uh, they just don't want they don't want to throw him under the bus right? too badly by benching him and uh, and just airing him out. So they just want to sideline him for a couple weeks of the wrist. Well, however. However, this goes down. It doesn't look like he's going to play on Sunday if he's not practicing on Thursday. So, could this be the Ezra Cleveland to left guard debut? Shift Dozier over to right guard, or some other amalgamation? What's the likely thing on Sunday in your mind? It's interesting. I mean, I, you, you can you can think, okay, does does Ezra go in at right guard? Because Gary Kubiak had told us he'd been working at both both guard and at tackle, so he's getting reps everywhere. Um, according to what Gary said about practice. But if you put him at left guard, because that's where he did most of his work during training camp, and then you move Dozier over to right guard, um, I don't think you'd be in a bad spot at all. I think Dozier filled in there several times for Josh Klein last year. It's not like he doesn't know how to play the position. Um, I'm curious what combination they roll out with here. But like you said, I mean, when I saw – I'm not trying to be such a skeptical jerk, but like when I saw yeah, that – Yeah, stop um, that. Stop being skeptical. Stop um, it. When you, when I saw the injury report yesterday and I, after hearing Gary talk about, um, you know, Samia and sticking with him this weekend and Cleveland and the, in the, you know, you know, kind of like it's only a matter of time. I rolled my eyes like into the back of my head when I saw him on there with a wrist. I'm like, you showed up with a wrist injury today. You didn't have one yesterday. Like this, this is so clear. It's like, you see this in baseball all the time, guys getting like, I'm not saying it's a oh, yeah. fake injury, but it's just like, oh, oh magically the, popped up at a time that you want to make a personnel change. Yeah, okay. the, the, the the 11th so, pitcher on our roster that threw 45 pitches yesterday all of a sudden uh, has a little bit of a sore elbow for 10 days. <laughs> oh, and then, he's, so, yeah. then he's fine in a week when we need to Team's got to do what a team has to do, okay? <laughs> and honestly, I, I'm all for it because exactly. if you are the Vikings at this point of the season, where you're at right now, I have a I have a stat that I would like to um, 
to bring up here. So out of the 360 teams that have made the playoffs since the NFL went to a 12-team format in 1990, 2.7% of those playoff teams started out 1-4. and So I guess you're saying the Vikings have a 2.7% chance-ish to make the playoffs right now. You've got to make changes where it matters. And it's like, there will be people who argue it's not even worth it this year because you're probably only going to be seven and nine and then you'll be bounced in the first round, save it for next year. But I just don't think that this team is in a position to, I don't think that they feel like they're in a position to do that with like the extensions that they just got. And that'd be like, okay, we're just going to sit on our hands for a year. Can't do it. So you've got to get Ezra Cleveland in now because here's the thing. Riley Reef is not on this roster next year. So Ezra Cleveland's going to be playing left tackle, like it or not. And if he's ready, that's great. How do you get him ready? Have him just play on the offensive line. Put him somewhere at this point because it looks pretty suspect that your second-round pick that you decided to make a guard, which he's never played before, you decided that. Um, and, and he was inactive the first game. He hasn't played. And meanwhile, Drew Samia is the lowest-ranked player on the offensive line, according to pro football focus of any position. Um, It's just like, like I saw him on the sideline in Seattle, like on TV and a guy looked like he wanted to cry. And I would too, if I had four penalties and I was giving (laughs) up sacks and there's no drop back passing game because of me being the problem. Like, I just think that, okay, were they trying to hold out hope because he's a fourth round pick and do they want to look like, man, we missed another fourth-round pick. I mean, I'm not saying it's Willie Beavers all over again. At least the guy <laughs> stayed on the roster for wow. a while. Willie like, Beavers drop. It, it might be. You know, it, it, yeah, it's it's not good. It's definitely not good because and I think the frustrating thing is, like, we were sold, you know, media members. We were sold from coaches and what they said. You take them at face value that, like, his development's good. He had a redshirt year. This is what he needed. Like, None of it panned out. And for those of us who, like, watched those preseason games last year, he didn't look ready. And the, the little bit that we've seen in practice over the last, like, year and a half now, he didn't look ready. So, I mean, I think now is probably as good of a time as any to make the change before the bye week against – I mean, it's not going to be easy. Like, I know the Falcons are not very good, but, like, they still have Grady Jarrett. And go ask Garrett Bradbury what that was like in his first game last year. I think they're pretty smart. They'll probably line him up over the right guard spot or the left guard, depending upon where the rookie plays this week. The, the thing about Cleveland to me, too, is is among the not talked about storylines until now, that, mm-hmm. one, that one to me, given to your point where this team is at, is huge. Because yeah. Drew Samia, God bless him, right now just can't play. And you're trying, and you're trying to tell me that that Drew Samia at right guard going into the Seahawks game is better than Cleveland would be at left guard, which means that you think Cleveland's awful. Like that is an indictment. He's not ready exactly. Right. So so at some point in time here with this team, you know, five games in, having won one game, Ezra Cleveland has to play and had to mm-hmm. play, and and I don't care if Samia got hurt or he uh, stubbed his pinky or something. You had to find a, a way to make this change. And I believe the stat I saw, so um, Dakota Dozier started four games at guard last year, Courtney, and I think three of the four were at right guard in place of Klein. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's fine. But ideally, you start Cleveland at left guard on Sunday, and your starting line for the rest of the year on that left side is Reef, Cleveland, and then Garrett at uh, center. So mm-hmm. I think this is a natural transition overdue probably uh and as far as drew goes if he can come back and eventually be a backup that's fine but by last week i really felt 
playing him was unfair. Like, I watched yeah. him play and thought, this is not fair. He's, he cannot play. He cannot function. And it is really, really bad when somebody from your O-line during the course of a game to what you're saying looks like he wants to cry. Like, that is the yeah. last position. Like, if a receiver drops a ball, I'm like, well, they're sort of divas. I can see them crying, right? Kirk. Kirk's upset. He might cry. I'm not surprised by this. An old lineman? Also, I think it, like, can't cry. Like if you're a wide receiver, like you drop a pass, you can just come back and just focus harder and like catch the next pass. If you're an offensive lineman and you're just getting outmanned at the line of scrimmage, it, it's got to be such a helpless feeling because there's there's just nothing you yeah. can do. You're just getting bullied at the line of scrimmage for three hours. They ran 83 plays. <laughs> Last week, that's a lot. Like, can you imagine? Like, poor Drew Samia. You must have like how dejecting that must have felt. Like, if you're the thing is, I mean, what do we always call out? Holding penalties, false starts. Like, oh, it's that guy. It's that guy. And then the TV camera shows him. And like, okay, like take your lumps with that. But like, when you're continually getting beat, and it's that obvious to people watching on TV, like offensive line play to the average fan. Um. Unless you're watching the All-22, unless you are breaking it down and, like, watching a lot of different angles and seeing what pass protection is, who's lined up where, which gap people are responsible for uh, from, like, the defensive perspective of it, too. It's just, like, you don't notice that stuff in games because of the, way that, of the way that the games are portrayed yep. with, like, the wide-angle shot. And it's, like, they're, going, they're following the ball. So if you're paying attention to the offensive line, it's probably – not a good thing. I mean, yes, of course, if they open up a wide, you know, a really big hole, Dalvin runs through it and, and great. Of course, you'll notice that. But like, it's just it, usually if we're talking about an offensive line in games off a of broadcast, it's because things are not good. Inter- yeah. Interior line play too, Courtney. Yes. Exactly. Like the tackles, the tackles, are, you're like, ah, he sucks or he's great. Guard mm-hmm. play. When's the yeah. last, when's the last time that you guys have sat down and watched a, a game, forget the Vikings, and been like, hey, you know who I'm really seeing today? The guard. It, it, it's because it, yeah. it, it, it looks so out of place, too, when like when you're just watching the natural flow of pass protection and mm-hmm. the, ball, the ball is snapped and the offensive linemen all start going back, and one guy goes back at like twice the rate as the other guys, and that's Drew Samia the last couple weeks. I did feel bad <laughs> for him. I really felt bad it, for him. I think they just kind of need to take the L with this one and realize, okay, I know we spent a fourth round pick on him, but it's probably the experiment is over. It's time to move on. Cause it's like, I think the frustration I gauge with Vikings fans are there's all these other guys that you keep around. Are they that much worse that you couldn't t- call Aviant Collins up off the practice squad uh, when he was your swing tackle the last few years? I mean, he's a veteran on the practice squad because they expanded the rules this year. Um, is, is Samia is he so much worse than Samia he couldn't play? Is Oli Udo, who's been inactive, but you kept him around, what's he doing? Like, I, I just, like, it, it, there's so many bodies there. And, I mean, what Gary said, oh, you might see us go seven or eight deep by the end of the year. Well, you know, starting this week, because that would make a lot of sense. You bring up a, um, a really intriguing point, and, and I, I think – this team's done a lot of good things. Like they've made a lot of good draft picks. So th- this is not to sell Spielman and the uh, and the executive staff short, Courtney. But you know the one thing that I consistently pick up on in in different positions, but the circumstances to me uh, remain the same a lot of the time. It's the pride factor. Yeah, like Holton Hill, like Holton Hill. I know. 
you kept him around, and we saw him play. And, you know, Gladney looks to me pretty good, right? Dantzler, I'm not saying that they're perfect, but they're young, and they look like they're developing. And until he got hurt, mysteriously got hurt, Holton Hill is being trotted out there consistently. It, mm-hmm. It's it's as if this team, and I think Rick especially, uh, invests in people at certain times and is like, well, this is going to work. It has to work. And, you, and you and I say, and Phil and Declan say, but Rick, it's not working. And he's like, no, it's going to work. And, you know, and through that, we end up with a kid like Samia on Sunday where, I mean, this is a really bad thing. When Judd Zolgad feels bad for you and you're a professional football player, like, think about that. <laughs> I feel I feel bad that I felt bad for him. Like, I, I like yeah, to rip people, I, not I feel it. empathy. I know. <laughs> Save I that know, clip. Um, <laughs> but I felt empathy for him. Judd is allergic to empathy. Yeah. I did. I did. I felt really like I'm watching. Judd, I'm watching I, did, I did too, though, Judd. I, I, and I'm like, this I'm, poor yeah, kid. I'm very harsh on this team. So, I mean, I think that, you know, it just, it, it felt like, please get him out of there. Like, he looks like he's a liability. He was a liability, but he looked like he was just, like, not having it. And I know that that's a really hard position to play, but, you know, if you can't do it against Seattle's defensive line, like, if they, if, if he was going to go this week and they, they're smart. They're going to put Grady Jarrett over the guard because he's going to eat him alive. And that's not going to end well. Garrett Bradbury had a 0.0 pass blocking grade last year against Garrett, Grady Jarrett. How do you think that's going to go for Drew Samia? Yeah. And Worst. and I would say to wrap this episode quick, because I'm glad you brought up Garrett Bradbury. That has been a silver lining in that, according to yeah. Pro Football Focus, he's gone from being one of the worst uh, offensive linemen among centers in the NFL. And he is at least... His pass protection still needs a little bit of work, but overall he has emerged into slightly above average, respectable range in his second year. And sure. so, so Brian, and I think Brian O'Neill, yeah, like, O'Neill and Bradbury are are two things you can hang your hat on here if you're the Vikings. Yeah. But and Riley Reef has played well. Like I mean, all things considered, he's played well this year. The tackle play is not the issue; it's the guards, like we yeah. knew it would be. So that's a wrap on the state of the offensive line, which I'm sure we can probably do another one of these next week just yeah. based on whatever happens against the Falcons. But uh, that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks to Courtney Cronin, ESPN.com, Mackie, Judd, and Declan. We'll see you on Vikings Vent Line. Don't forget, right after the game is over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast.